0: The second reading comes from 1 Samuel, chapter 3, starting at verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days the word of the Lord was rare, there were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. And the Lord called Samuel Samuel answered here I am and he ran to Eli and said here I am you called me but Eli said I do not call you go back and lie down so he went and laid down again the Lord called Samuel Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said here I am you called me my son Eli said I did not call go back and lie down Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realised that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time I will carry out against Eli everything I have spoken against his family, from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about, His sons blasphemed the Lord God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning, and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Bathsheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. Thanks, Al.
1: Well, it's great to see you all here today, <clears throat> all smiling and refreshed after the, the rain we had. And it's great to open God's word, isn't it? And we'll be talking about that in a bit more detail. Now, this particular passage is fairly familiar to people, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> we know about uh, Eli getting woken up uh, several times during the night by his, uh, by his protege, you know, his uh, apprentice, uh, Samuel, uh, who hears people calling out to him in the middle of the night. Anybody else hear people calling out to them in the middle of the night? Sometimes in a dream or whatever. Yeah, fairly familiar. <clears throat> what I'm going to concentrate on, though, today is looking at the Word of God and how it fits into this passage, how it fits into the Old Testament, how it fits into the New Testament, how it fits into today as, as we uh, live in the 21st century. So I'm actually going to take a snippet out of it, make reference to Samuel, uh, but then talk more broadly about the, the power and the, and the purpose of the Word of God. So before we do that, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be amongst us now, As we open your word, as we read the words before us, as you speak to us through your Holy Spirit, may we learn, uh, may we be confronted, and may we change our behaviour to become more like Jesus, in accordance with your word. Amen. We're told to survive that we need food, clothing, and shelter. That's what the the world tells us. How serious is it to be without something that is necessary for life? Within two years of the first fleet coming to uh, set up the colony at Sydney Cove in January 1788, the colonists at Port Jackson faced their harshest uh, conditions yet. Early attempts in agriculture produced little. Hunting, fishing and gathering supplemented what they brought with them from, uh, from England, but starvation was a real possibility. Obviously, they didn't have Bob Pickworth as a fisherman at the time. How do you think you could survive on this in a week, during uh, for one week? <clears throat> a kilogram of pork, uh, 1.2 kilograms of flour, and a kilogram of rice. That was the ration that was given. Anything else you had to... Uh, hunt for. They received some extra supplies in March 1790. The supply ship, HMS Supply, good name, um, brought some food with them. The other ship, the Sirius, also brought food with them, but it was wrecked uh, when it was offloading prisoners in Norfolk Island. Everybody was saved off the ship, but all the food and supplies were lost. a lieutenant at the time, Lieutenant Ralph Clark, <clears throat> wrote in the official records of the day this, Gracious God, what will become of us all? The whole of our provisions in the ship now are a wreck before us. I hope in God that we are able to save some, if not all. But why do I flatter myself with such hopes? There is at present no prospect of it, except that of starving The stocktake of food on the 12th of May 1790 showed that pork and beef supplies would run out on the 26th of August, rice and peas on the 13th of September, and flour and biscuit before Christmas. Food was indeed rare in the early days of the colony of New South Wales. More recently, our world has experienced scarcity of a different kind. This scarcity... Manifested itself in ways that we could have never imagined at the beginning of 2020. We saw the emptying of supermarket shelves, fights amongst normally law abiding people over milk, bread, pasta, flour, disinfectant, tissues, paper towel, and toilet paper. Thanks, Dave. Toilet paper. And all this was triggered by the prospect of being locked down for extended periods of time. We all faced disconnections from our family, from our workplace. We knew people who lost their businesses, lost income, lost jobs. Entire industry sectors were closed down. Aeroplanes stood idle on the runways. Life as we knew it had seemingly changed in the blink of an eye. Any vestige of normality almost anywhere in the world was hard to find. Very rare indeed, almost non-existent. Back in Samuel's time in about 550 BC, there was a scarcity of a different kind. A scarcity that really wasn't that obvious to the Israelites, because they were going about their business as if nothing was wrong. We read in the last chapter of Judges that in those days Israel had no kin, everyone did as they saw fit. The everyday experience of community life amongst Israel's 12 tribes exhibited behaviour that focused on the individual's needs, the individual's wants, rather than on the community or the nation as a whole. Where individuals agreed between each other, life went on as usual. Where they disagreed, often conflicts would arise. We get the sense from what was said in uh, the end of Judges that disputes and aggression were common and that the notion of a unified chosen people under God was just a dream. Back in Shiloh, we notice that the priests from the tribe of Levi, the God's representatives, in particular, the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phineas, whom we have learned, did not know the Lord and behaved with outrageous contempt for the people and for God. We learn that they were abusive, insulting, insolent, indecent, offensive, sexually immoral and foul-mouthed. We also read that they would become self-serving, worthless men, the role that God ordained To be the intermediary between himself and man had failed under their watch. The people of Israel had no human leadership that acknowledged God for who he was. Israel was in a terrible state. And this is where Samuel comes in. The opening verse of our passage today contains the words, in in those days the word of the Lord was rare. And there were not many visions. But why was this such a concern? So what, if the word of the Lord was rare? Was it such a big deal? To the everyday Israelite, carrying on in their daily life, it wasn't. What is the word of the Lord, and why is it so important? What I plan to do is have a bit of a a scan through the Old Testament, Where it talks about the Word of God, and then have a bit of a look in the New Testament, see what it says about the Word of God, and then have a look at us today in the 21st century and what it means for us. So let's look at the Old Testament briefly. We need to understand what the Word of the Lord is from the Lord, and how it features in the history of God's people, and why it's so important. When we look back in scripture, we see that in Genesis, it was God's word that created the world. Whatever he said, at the end of that, it usually says, and it was so. So his word produced some sort of um, outcome. God is a God whose word shapes the very existence of our world. His word drives our history. His word drives his people. His word made a covenant with Abraham about him being the father of a great nation. In Genesis 15 we read after these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. We also read that Abram thought that he would never have an heir but God then said further on in that particular chapter Behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram, saying, This man, whom you thought would be your heir, will not be your heir. Your heir will come forth from your own body. You can see how God's word shapes the lives of his people, whom he saved, from exile under Moses. During their, reflecting on their walk through the wilderness, uh, in Deuteronomy, the writer says, God humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, providing, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. Why? To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. From this we learn that just as we need food to sustain us physically, so we need the word of God. For spiritual sustenance and instruction as to how we are to live, to depend upon him, for without the word of the Lord, who made the world, the world we know it as we know it today would collapse. The word of God is necessary for the continued existence, for our continued availability of oxygen, of plants, of food, of clothing, shelter, sun, moon, stars, even water. <clears throat> So at a time when we are told that the word of God is rare in Samuel's time, to have God speak directly to his people is a matter of great importance. There's something else we need to know about the word of God. Look at verse 7. In verse 7 we read that the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to Samuel. Because Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Here there is making a clear distinction between knowing about God and knowing God. God actually stood before Samuel in the passage that we read. Now let me try and uh, work this through with you. Knowing God is different to knowing about God. We can get our knowledge about God from the study of the Bible, study of historical documents and the like. And good as that might be by itself, it's simply an academic understanding. Uh, we can do exams on it, and pass exams, uh, true and false, because we know that information. People who know that sort of information may know about God, but unless God reveals himself, like he did to Samuel, unless he reveals himself to a person, then knowing, simply knowing about God is just like a piece of information. Um, A bit like knowing where you live, um, or the names of your children, or your birth date, um, or where you work, or the name of the street you live in. Knowing God and his word can only come from God himself revealing himself to us in his word. Notice that this is an action initiated not by us, but it's initiated by God. To hear God's word and to personally engage with it is in obedience and in action, it is evidence that a person has come to know. Not only the words, but more importantly, the God who speaks those words. The prophets did this. When God spoke to the prophets, they spoke his word to the people. The prophets were God's mouthpiece to his people. Hosea, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Zephaniah, Jonah, he was a bit reluctant, but he finally got across the line. To name a few, we doing God's work by telling people about his word. In the passage we're looking at today, God's word to Samuel is a watershed moment in Israel's history. There was silence, but now God is speaking directly to Samuel He has released Israel from having no word, from the word being rare to God's word being back in the midst of them through the faithfulness of Samuel as the messenger of God's word to his people. Samuel receives God's call after a couple of failed attempts and hears his word and God reveals himself to Samuel. Samuel then Although reluctant, faithfully delivers God's word to Eli. It mustn't have been a very pleasant undertaking, but he delivers it nonetheless. The prophetic word delivered by Samuel, uh, sorry, to Samuel by God concerns the behaviour of Eli and of his two sons. And we know uh, from our reading that eventually they are killed on the same day. His two sons and Eli dies soon afterwards. <clears throat> Whenever God delivers a word from himself to the world, to his people, to an individual, it may not be what we want to hear, but a word that we need to hear, and it isn't always pleasant. In the midst of this damning prophecy, though, Samuel was obedient to God. So God's word is again, once again, being heard in Israel. And we end our passage today with the words... The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. In other words, not be heard. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognised that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. The silence, the rarity of God's word... Had ended. Moving on to the New Testament, <clears throat> the phrase the word of the Lord takes on an expanded meaning within the New Testament. In Luke 22 we read, the Lord turned and looked at Peter and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, that is the word that Jesus had spoken to him, how he had told him before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter remembered Jesus' comment to him that he would deny him three times. And in this instance, the phrase, the Word of God, refers to the words of Jesus himself. Can you see what's happening here? The Bible not only contains the Word of the Lord, it is the Word of the Lord, and Jesus is the Word of the Lord. He is the Word. As far as scripture is concerned, in, uh, in 2 Timothy, Paul tells us that all scripture is, in, is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, it's useful for rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, God's people, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In 2 Peter we read, above all, <clears throat> you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. So they didn't just dream it up, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, through, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In one Peter, there's an explicit statement that reveals the word of the Lord, also refers to our scriptures, what we have in our Bibles: "For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable." Through the living and enduring Word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. This means that the Word of the Lord is oral in the way that God speaks to His people, written in the way that it has been written down for us, and also embodied in the person of Jesus. For in John 1, 1 we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, that is Jesus, all things were made. Without him nothing was made that's been made. And further on in, in, uh, in that particular chapter, it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. God, and the, sorry, the Word of God as a, as, a, as a phrase now takes on another dimension, a living dimension. Before we focused on spoken and written, and now we're focusing on his written Word in his incarnate Son. Incarnate means in human form. So the authority of the Word of the Lord has been vested in Jesus Matthew 28 tells us that Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. To know the word of the Lord is to know Jesus. And to know Jesus is to know the word of the Lord. They're one and the same. The Old Testament, the New Testament, what about today? Well, as Christians in the 21st century, and indeed all people in the 21st century, our situation is different to that of Israel. In today's world, we have unparalleled access to words. Only have to prompt one of the many search engines on our devices. And in the blink of an eye, depending on our uh, bandwidth, we have access to word definitions. We have access to words in context, words um, in in paragraphs, in phrases. We have access to the origin of words. We have uh, access to the historical development of words. We've got more access now than, than we than we know what to do with. So is the word of God any different today? Can we access it in the same way? Is the word of God rare? Or is God's word now online for everyone? Well, in some respects, we do have good access to the Bible. Many of us use Bible apps. I noticed Alex uh, used his, his phone to read from. Uh, well, call me old-fashioned, but I still prefer the feel and touch And the texture of of paper, Um, even though I'm having difficulty and I have to, uh, it's a bit of a challenge for my eyesight sometimes, and I'm sure I'm not alone. So access to God's word is readily available, but the word of God isn't taken seriously by everyone, is it, even though it's available? Um, It's not just the written stuff. Because unless we have God's revelation of himself to us, the written stuff is meaningless in a sense, basically information. We need to have God's intervention in helping us to understand what it all means. While we're in a different time to Samuel, the process is still the same. Now coming out of that, I want you to remember or take note of three things. Firstly, we're no longer in a place where God's word is rare. In the past, Hebrews tells us, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through him, he also made the universe, by the way. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So whilst we're not like the Israelites in Samuel's time, whilst we're not living in a world where God is silent, his powerful word, his son, is alive and moving among us. He, with the Holy Spirit, brings life and meaning to our lives. He gives us insight into God's plan for mankind. He helps us to understand what scripture is all about. He reveals God through his word to us and to all of mankind. Jesus died for us to give us the opportunity, the gateway, if you like, to understand God's will for us. That's the first truth. <clears throat> Second truth is that we need to, in, in knowing God, we need to have God revealing himself to us. Matthew eleven <clears throat> twenty seven says this. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So unless Jesus reveals the Father to us, we're still in the dark. We pray, asking God to be at work in our lives when we share the good news about Jesus. We're very privileged not only to have God's written word, but also the word of God incarnate. Jesus. Our duty then is to not only, is to um, read God's word asking Jesus to help us through the spirit to understand what's there. And our duty then is to proclaim that to others. Now the third truth, and it's a very sobering truth, while we have the written word, while we have the living word, it's still possible for us to create a self-imposed rarity or scarcity of God's word. How? Through neglect, through um, deliberately ignoring it uh, or inadvertently ignoring it. Let me explain. The deliberate ignoring of God's word is a willful act of disobedience, has significant consequences. Remember Hophni and Phinehas, Deliberate dismissal of God's word creates a vacuum within our lives where people have no purpose, no guidance, no direction and no hope. And in that sense, the word of God to those who deliberately ignore it is rare and scarce and to some even non-existent. Similarly, those who neglect to make his work the centre of their lives, us, and still cling on to life's pleasures instead of God's promises, that can create a scarcity of God's word in our life with similar consequences. Now that's the hard bit that we have to face up to. Trying to have a bit each way isn't going to result in anything other than disappointment and destruction, for there is no middle ground in God's eyes. The word of the Lord sustains us, The very existence of the world depends on us. The way we live depends on it. How we exist depend upon God and his life-giving word. It's very confronting for a Christian. God's written word we have, and also in his incarnate word. The question I have is, are we feeding ourselves from his word or just merely nibbling at the edges? For if we don't respond to God seriously... He will seriously deal with us. That he hasn't yet, that he hasn't yet dealt with the sinful world is testimony to his patience, testimony to his grace and testimony to his mercy. God knows us better than we know ourselves and we can only know him through the saving power and sacrifice of his son. Knowing Jesus as the living word of God is the only way to salvation. For us to know Jesus is to have life now and life eternally with him. We need to pray fervently that we never neglect the Word, to take the word of God seriously and that we lean not on our own understanding but on the revealed understanding that God gives us through Jesus and through his spirit. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we know that you take seriously the way that we respond to you as our Father. We know also that we fail to do that properly in our daily lives. We're often diverted from the main game. We're often diverted from the Word of God by the things around us and the world, the pressures that the world puts upon us. We hide behind our friendships. We hide behind... Um, community standards sometimes. Help us, Father, to be open about our faith in you. Help us to take your word seriously. Help us to look to Jesus and the Spirit to understand your, your word more fully. And that in understanding, help us to apply it in our daily lives so that we may become more like Jesus and more like the word that you spoke. We ask this in Jesus' name.